Hello, welcome to Foot Guns. This is Wasabi Bio Research. It is uh, April 5th when we are recording. I'm here with Hal. Cletus may or may not be joining us depending on the vagaries of the uh, international petroleum markets. Uh, but we have a big list of stuff to go over. I think it's been a while since we uh, sat down and did a podcast and we just uh, were catching up and we said, let's just uh, hit record and, and see where this goes because we've got about six or eight uh, pretty big uh, news items to cover. So how, what's going on? How was, uh, how's your trip? Are we disclosing your uh, trip uh, report and location on this podcast? Oh yeah. As long as I'm, I keep moving around. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, it was a, it was a wild uh, month or so for me. I mean, I went to, uh, I went to East Denver. Um, it was actually uh, cool at, you know, you were there last year. Um, this year they, they moved the venue into like this like arena and everything was laid out much nicer. There was a lot of um, cool uh, projects that I actually cared about, like going and talking to other booths and uh, yeah, met a lot of people, had a lot of chats with uh, a lot of DeFi folk, uh, tried to stay away from the NFTs. <laughs> it's not really my thing. Uh, and then, yeah, um, after that, um, headed to Costa Rica for a while. And you got and COVID again, right? Uh, I ended up not getting COVID. I got sick, but uh, I never, never, though, though they said like whatever version of COVID um, is going around, like doesn't show up on a PCR test. So I don't know. I kept testing negative, um, but I definitely got some kind of cold or something. Uh, but yeah, and then uh, headed into the jungle in Costa Rica for a while, which was really fun. Um, and yeah, now I'm on the uh, uh, West Coast for the next couple of months in California. Um, so I actually did uh, make that announcement last Wednesday that I'm, I'm publishing the newsletter a couple hours later, so I don't have to wake up at 5 a.m. every morning. To... So it's so, actually it's actually kind of fun because now I get to publish it like after the stock market opens, and so it, it changes the uh, the newsletter a little bit, I think. So East Denver, I I went last year. I did not go this year. Um, who? What was the what was the level of VC swag this year compared to last year? Was it up down? What was the best? Oh swag, yeah, worst like swag? like if. If last year was like all about VC, this year was like about building. Like you could really tell. I mean, I remember last year I had I had lots of conversations with uh, with VCs and LPs. I think I met like one or two this year, and um, for the most part, it was yeah more focused. Though uh, actually, the one thing I noticed, which is funny, uh, <laughs> my you know I don't know this coincidence or not, but right we're in the bear market, and I noticed that um, Circle USDC had a huge presence there. Right, it's like everybody's uh, everybody's holding. <laughs> stable coins this year nobody wants to to bid uh ethereum or whatever but i did um was it before or after the the usdc dpeg so it was just before actually it says kind of funny okay uh yeah yeah actually um so yeah okay we can go into two two tangents off of this one was you know giant presence of circle usd there and then um the other thing was i the only thing that i picked up that i put on my backpack there was an arbitrum pin and uh that's you know the only swag i really have on my my all black backpack is just a single arbitrum pin and it was uh just a couple of days or whatever after the the east ever ended that they announced the airdrop right yep arbitrum i think they they had probably the best swag last year i think i got a tote bag they had these like uh little chapsticks that i brought for my kids which they fucking loved um so yeah arbitrum class act yeah yeah and okay so yeah to you know for full disclosure uh we don't get any sort of sponsorship from arbitrum but um so you know i, I think 
when we started Foot Guns, or maybe when we were just doing um, some practice podcasts or whatever, I had talked about how you know being a DeFi user or like a DeFi super user, you're essentially getting paid as a product tester, um, and the way they pay you is through these things like that they call airdrops, where you know one day they just make a token up out of thin air and they send it to you, and it, it has some value for it because they put. Um, they put money to back it in these like um, you know liquidity pools on chain, so you can swap it for dollars or Bitcoin or whatever. Um, and basically, um, you know, I I actually I ended up getting an airdrop from an, a wallet that I made to make a video for foot guns, um, and so I was just you know showing everyone how to use GMX on Arbitrum. And those actions that I took ended up making me around six thousand dollars um, to record a, a one-hour video, which is, you know, much much more money than um, I get paid to do uh, this newsletter and podcast. So uh, <laughs> that you know, it, it's it's crazy how crypto works that way. And you said you got uh, the Arbitrum airdrop too, right? So like, what did what did you? Yeah, do I I just had a surreal moment explaining to my wife that I just got a five figure well into the five figure airdrop for yeah clicking some buttons last year that I'd kind of forgotten about I think I was farming uh, RB Nyan like this meme coin on Arbitrum because that was like the first I think the first day that Arbitrum opened it was like okay what what projects are live there and someone just like put up this like meme token that was ended up rugging and didn't really have anything but um yeah, like that, those actions, I think Badger had some vaults on Arbitrum for a while that I was like testing out and just, yeah, similarly like doing some tests. And then I had some uh, GMX leverage trades and then some just like Uniswap LPing um, across a few different wallets that um, when I checked my airdrop, I was like, damn, this is pretty good. And, you know, like for every Arbitrum, I have to say like there are quite a few disappointing airdrops. Like there are several projects where I thought, I was going to get big airdrops and it was like, you know, a hundred bucks worth or like not really worth claiming, but like the Arbitrum one was, was quite significant and uh, is one of these, uh, these bonus uh, features of, of being involved in crypto. So I've been thinking about, okay, like what, you know, I know some other newsletters have, have like, they're like, okay, you know, farm this or farm that, but like, how are you thinking about airdrops? Like it, this, this made me think like, I need to kind of like more seriously think about getting airdrops as like part of my involvement in crypto and like doing, being more systematic about it, trying to like think about what are the best opportunities out there. And then number one, getting more airdrops. And then number two, like, do you have a default? Do you sell half? Do you sell a portion? Do you LP? Like what, what do you do when you get a GC airdrop like that? Do you have sort of a playbook? I, I'll tell you what I did, but I won't. Yeah. Well, so I actually me. wrote, um, I wrote the playbook that I used, um, for, I think it was like last Tuesday or something. Um, you know, in the, in the Tuesday and Thursday, uh, newsletter that we, we put out the, there's a section in the bottom that's only for the premium, you know, paid subscribers and, uh, yeah, I think it was the day before Arbitrum airdrop happened. I wrote, uh, you know, just a little thesis around, you know, how, how these airdrops tend to go and price action and that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, if you go read it, I pretty much called it perfectly, which is I sold I sold half almost immediately. I put the other half in an LP, um, you know, uh, by itself, uni V3, pretty uh, high range let that earn fees. And then as soon as it uh, went back out of range, I, I sold it all. So um, 
it ended up uh, working out pretty well. And now I think I'm, uh, you know, maybe one day I'll buy some Arbitrum, but uh, I'm just going to be patient. Um, yeah. So what did you do? And then and then we have to talk about the uh, the controversy that happened uh, uh, this past this week to do with the token. Okay. Um, the first thing I did is I took all of it and I put it in a uni v3 one uh, percent fee pool one tick wide um uh band and just like one you know like the closest tick i could get to the actual price and it went in range a few times and that earned like a thousand bucks in fees um and then i went to sleep and woke up the next day and it had moved like several ticks away from the from the price so then at that point i sold i sold about 75 percent of it and put the rest in a in an LP just that I plan on kind of like indefinitely holding with uh, Arbitrum and ETH. Nice. And presumably, presumably uh, that LP is out of range now. No, it's, it, I mean, if you look like the last few days, it's been right around that 120. I don't know what it's at now, but it's, it's still in range. I kind of waited a few days and then put a fairly wide range. I think I did like plus or minus 15% either, either side. Oh, okay. So it's a, it's a, it's a wide range. Yeah. So this is, um, let's see, my range is, 1350 to 1661 um, ETH to Arbitrum. So it's right, it's like 70% Arbitrum right now, but it was like around 50%. But I'm, I'm hoping that will stay in range for a couple of weeks. Then this might be, is this the, this might be like the only podcast in the history of crypto podcasts where we're just like sitting here talking about uh, Uni V3 ranges. Uh, so, so yeah, so what, what, um, let me, you know, anyone that your is. Your friends are not talking about Uni V3 ranges. <laughs> And anyone that's like still here and has no idea what we're talking about, um, Arbitrum is a roll up on Ethereum, meaning it's a, you know, a piece of technology that uses the Ethereum transactions uh, and, and, and does a bit of like, you know, sort of like data compression. So you can you can do more transactions faster and then, uh, you know, Arbitrum reports back to Ethereum and, and says, hey, here's all this stuff that happens. Um, so, y- you, you know, you you get sort of the same experience of, of Ethereum, but uh, it, it's insanely fast. Actually, it's one of my favorite, um, uh, you know, what they call layer twos. And, um, you know, I didn't really get the airdrop because I was trying to farm the airdrop. I just got the airdrop because I thought Arbitrum was a good um, layer two and I've been using it a lot, right? Um, so they release um, this, this token, ARB, uh, which is a governance token, meaning the the purpose of the token is to govern the protocol. And the first thing that goes to vote is to um, sell a bunch of Arbitrum on, on the market or something uh, so, so to pay for the team's, um, you know, runway and funding and that sort of thing. And uh, the controversy was the people that held the tokens, which is a governance token, voted no. <laughs> but the... Uh, the team just went ahead and, and and did it, even though the vote uh, came in no. And so then the price of Arbitrum had a had a huge uh, decline. I don't remember exactly what the the actual price action was, but it was a pretty big drop um, because you know a lot of people were saying, okay, well if we're we're valuing this thing for its governance purposes, and the first vote that goes across um, is ignored, then you know what is the value of this token? So um, I I I don't necessarily really have an opinion about this i do it is something that i'm watching um i've i think a lot of DAOs um have already 
in the past just said publicly that you know they would not listen to votes if they don't like votes but um you know i don't know this goes down like a pretty deep rabbit hole of um of voting and, and DAO governance and that sort of thing. Cause there's also been DAOs um, that have on-chain voting where when the vote passes, uh, you know, you can't say no, uh, the thing happens and uh, they got like rugged basically um, through, through having that, that power. So I don't know, it's, it's quite the controversy. Do you have any, uh, any thoughts or opinions about this? Well, not really. I, I, I don't think, I think uh, I'm trying to, I, I'm surprised. I'm looking at the chart of the Arbitrum airdrop and it's pretty, I would, I, I'm surprised by how not volatile it's been since the first day, right? Like it, the first traded was at like five bucks and then it went down. It's been hovering between a dollar, uh, like 12 and a dollar 40 for the last I don't know, seven, eight, nine days since it, since it dropped. So I, I'm pretty surprised just how, like how um, steady it's been, which is good, which is like as a uni V3 strategy, what you're trying to do is like predict the range that it will trade in um, and put your, put your band where you're providing liquidity in that range. So like for something that's in such a tight range and a token, that's only, um, you know, in its first few weeks of existence where there's still a ton of trading, it's like still kind of like a bunch of people are selling, a bunch of people are buying. So it's like a lot of uh, fees that you're trying to harvest as a, as an LP. So like, you're still getting a really good APY for, for providing that liquidity. So um, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm just happy that it's kind of in this range. And like, I was a little bit underwhelmed. Like I remember see, on Twitter, seeing this drama about like the, that you're describing about the, the, on-chain voting and stuff and thinking like, oh, wow, this must be a really big deal. And then going back and checking the price and being like, actually, it's still like, if you zoom out in that chart, it's kind of like still in that band. And it, and it seems like a nothing burger. In yeah. Terms yeah. Of the price. I, I was surprised um, that it didn't trade under a dollar off of that for sure. Yeah. And the other thing is like, I also got the optimism airdrop, which was, you know, another one of these L2s that had their airdrop several months ago. Um, much smaller airdrop and that was much more volatile. I think it like crashed and then it's like doubled since then. Um, well, they got like, they got hacked, right? right? There they was a hack a, or like a sort of like yeah, yeah. A, a technical issue or, that uh, exploit, yeah. right? Where the, yeah, there was something and they, so the, yeah, they had that and then they recovered from it and fixed the token somehow. Um, but then even since then it's gone up quite a bit, right? Yeah, I mean, it's gone up a huge amount, actually. I um, That was one of the... <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I mean, again, you know, I wrote this uh, uh, this thing about, you know, how to trade airdrops, basically. And, um, you know, sort of, right, sell sell some, sell a lot in the beginning, LP, and then wait for a good entry. And, um, you know, we got that entry on uh, Optimism. I think I bought it at 80 cents and it went to like $2 or over $2 or something before I sold. I think it went much higher than that, but that's, that's around where I sold it at. Um, so yeah, I'm sort of waiting for sub $1 Arbitrum to, you know, start, start picking up my, my bag or whatever, uh, as people say, um, uh, yeah. And then, okay. We're talking about hacks. That was another thing that I wrote in the, um, the, you know, for the premium wait, wait, subscribers. One, one more thing, uh, one we, more thing on Arbitrum. Okay. 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 We're getting, so like I'm a holder of Matic for LPing it on the thesis that like, okay, like Matic and ETH have been pretty well correlated, but like there's still some like good juicy volatility that you can LP and get paid pretty well for. I do not hold optimism anymore. 
but I would look to, to be kind of a long-term holder of Arbitrum on the theory that it will eventually be like roughly correlated to ETH. So like you could create one of these LP positions and just kind of like hang out there for weeks to months and get nice fees and, you know, end up with 30, 50, 90% if you did this over the course of the year rebalancing. Um, do you agree with that? Or do you think like we're getting saturated with these L2 tokens and they're just like not going to hold up long-term? Do you see these like being correlated to ETH in the multi-month to year timeframe? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a, I don't know where it comes from or whatever, uh, but you know, there's a lot of uh, history around you know, winner takes all in markets, right? Um, and I think the one thing Arbitrum has going for it is it's just like has bigger market capture than Optimism. So even if there is like a saturation of L2s or, or whatever, I think that, uh, you know, I, I, I could see Arbitrum maintaining its its sort of like market share. Um, this is where the swag game becomes so important. Yeah, yeah. Those chapsticks, right? <laughs> like this is where you're getting for your money. Right, right. So yeah, my mind, you know, if you're going to build a a portfolio of, and the one thing that I'll say, because we're just talking about UniV3, uh, is I, I still think some of the best performing um, trades, if you're, if you want to get long uh, Ethereum, basically, is to, instead of just get long Ethereum, is to LP this, like, you know, some ETH uh, ARB or ETH um op and and um you know uh, depending on your your risk you know whatever it's your your portfolio or whatever but just a theoretical portfolio um you know if you're going to have 100 units um and you want it to be 100 percent involved in this trade then you know you could have 60 70 80 percent of it as like arb eth and then have a, a little bit you know as optimism eth but you know, like I said, for the most part, it seems like that once the winner takes all, the winner like outperforms. So, um, what about Polygon? I'm, I'm a big You're not fan. mentioning Polygon in this uh, sentence. Uh, yeah, uh, this is like an ETH trade for me. Like, I think I think Polygon is a separate. I mean, I would, uh, yeah. I mean, sure, you could bring it in. I, I I would I would consider that like a different thing because Polygon is like a. Um, I don't know. Optimism and um, Arbitrum are these uh, projects that were funded, uh, and maybe I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure I'm right here by the Ethereum Foundation, or they were like sponsored by, or like whatever. There, there was there was motivation um, for Arbitrum and Optimism to be a part of uh, Ethereum's roadmap, mm-hmm. where um, Matic is a sort of third party, uh, and. I don't know. It had a bunch of hate in the past, and then now they're doing like zk rollup version of Polygon, and 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 you know Polygon, yeah, which is the network uh, behind Matic or the company or something. Uh, Matic is the token. Uh, they're they're just sort of reaching for a different audience in my mind. So it's a it's a different trade. But I, I also yeah, if if we're gonna widen the portfolio, um, I'm a huge fan of Matic. I mean, if you're <laughs> if you're a part of Foot Guns and you're in the Discord, you would know that um, we actually swapped our entire uh, treasury out of USDC into Matic at, I think Matic was at about a dollar, a dollar three and USDC was at 95 cents. So um, basically bought it at like, I think a dollar five. So yeah, we are. Wait, so we paper hands the treasury at 95 cents on the dollar. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Worried about uh, where, yeah, we can actually go into a little bit of 
this if you want to. I did a I did a huge report. I'm not sure how I want to publish it publicly because Substack really won't let me like publish something this long. But did like a 20 page report looking into all these um, stablecoin uh, holders, and yeah, it turns out you know uh, I mean USDC is not the worst from what they publish, but uh, you know there a lot of these people like BUSD and Paxos USD mm-hmm. and um, USDT they're holding like treasury bonds. Um, some of them dated for 20, 30 years and they bought them at really bad prices. So um, yeah, there is, there is quite a risk still, I think in the, uh, in the stablecoin market for a, uh, for a depegging event. Um, I don't think, I don't think it's over yet. In, in my mind, that was like the, uh, you know, to use like a Lord of the Rings analogy, that was like Helm's Deep and uh, Minas Tirith is, is still a possibility. <laughs> so so let me see. I, I have not read this, but I would love to read it. So you're saying that basically the same problem that took down some of these banks, which is that they bought treasuries when the long dated treasuries, when the interest rates were zero, then rates go up, the value of the treasuries plummets. So the value of the collateral behind these stable coins plummets. Therefore, they're they're potentially undercapitalized. Right. So that's that's what you're saying here. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, the other risk was, which I think we seem to have gotten past was um, that the cash on hand was was um, unaccessible or, or at risk. But it, it seems like uh, we're getting past that. Because, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, like, for instance, like Circle owns treasuries, but then they also had cash in the bank. But then it turns out that that cash in the bank was at a bank where the bank owned the treasuries, right? So, yeah. Uh, it's like okay, how much of this, uh, how much of this can actually be redeemed today? Um, of course, you'd assume uh, they have you know relationships with a bunch of the people that minted the USDC, and they're and they're like, hey, can you guys not like run run on the bank tomorrow um, kindly? <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but yes, yeah, so yeah, no, I, I I I would I would do it all again. I still think uh you know because for instance with a uh, UST um when it was at ninety five cents right um there's a lot of people that bought it back to a dollar and then it went to seventy cents and then they bought it back to a dollar and then the ultimate collapse happened. So uh, these things happen quickly. Um, the the risk I think is still present in the market um, and will be until. Uh, you know, these, these companies basically like completely change their behavior or, um, you know, a lot of them, uh, are starting to, you know, do these attestations and, 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 uh, proofs like, but they're, they're like two or three months behind. So, um, we, we really don't know like what's on their books, like at the moment, but we do know that, yeah, for instance, like Paxos is holding like 20 year treasuries bought in, uh, the beginning of 2022 when interest rates were at, uh, you know, 8% and now they're at 4% or something like that. Right. So, um, they're, they're looking at some pretty big, um, mark to market losses if they, if they actually had to, you know, turn the paper back into cash. Yeah. I think we're both old enough to remember the debates about tether and the other stable coins when there was so much shade thrown at tether for owning like Chinese commercial paper and stuff that was like, potentially, you know, yielding more, you know, like where a circle and these others were saying, you know, we own treasuries, how quickly treasuries have turned around to be the Achilles heel of this whole market, right? Because their value just plummets as interest rates grow up. It's kind of like, I mean, I'm not, don't consider myself like 
a banking or macro expert, but like you would think someone would have spotted this risk years ago and kind of made a big deal about it. Like, doesn't it seem like it's kind of like the iron law of finance, right? With when interest rates go up, the value of bonds goes down if they're, you know, these, these low interest bonds. So like, how come, how, how did no one see this coming? Yeah, I mean, it's a uh, right history uh, <laughs> tends to rhyme or whatever is like bound to repeat itself. Um, and so I wish we had uh, Cletus on here because I feel like he he would have something to say on this because he he had talked about, you know, oh, why didn't they just like initially just raise it 100 bips, leave it there and, and move on. But instead, they just like kept, you know, uh, you know, 50, 75, 50, 75, mm-hmm. 25, whatever. Um, and as far as, you know, everything that I've read about, looked into uh, now, now reading about like bank history, um, this has happened like a bajillion times in the past uh, when interest rates were um, increased too rapidly. Um, for instance, like when Paul Volcker was uh, in uh, you know, at at the at the Fed, uh, he like in, increased interest rates to like seventeen percent or something like that. And there was there was some major major um, uh, banks that failed in in the exact same way. And it was from, you know, they bought, you know, they thought, hey, look, interest rates are at nine percent; they can't possibly ever go higher. And so they bought like way too much of these Treasury bonds, long dated. Uh, you know, they call it duration risk, which mm-hmm. is you're, you know, you buy something that uh, doesn't expire for 20 years, but then everybody uh, wants to take their money out today. Um, so there's a there's a mismatch there. Um, and yeah, basically, you know, then Volcker went and increased interest rates from 9% to 17% and blew up like one of the most, um, I can't remember, the, I think it was like the Bank of the United States or, or something like that. Or um, yeah, I can't, I can't remember off the top of my head, but basically, uh, this has happened over and over and over again. And uh, one of the interesting parts to me is that they're like, there's this sort of crypto aspect to it in the news that, you know, because because the stable coins were impacted, uh, people are talking about it being some sort of like crypto related thing. Uh, but the more and more that I've looked into it, the more and more it seems it's a U.S. Treasury thing. And it's not and it is something that like the banks have have dealt with in the past and a mistake that they've made over and over again. Um, so yeah, you, you wonder why. Um, I mean, I think, I don't, I don't know if you've heard uh, some of these like crypto voices that are into banking, like Caitlin Long and stuff. Um, oh yeah. Sort of pointing, pointing to the fed and saying, Hey, they knew what they were doing. They knew that these banks would have issues and yet they continue to, to raise rates. Um, so yeah, uh, it's an interesting situation at least in my mind um and of course i'm not uh you know i don't work at the fed i don't work at a bank so it's hard for me to you know other than secondhand uh information uh, know exactly what's going on i'm so comfy with my uh toad jpegs now yeah yeah i mean uh i did i, I did uh I, I did think it was the right call to buy some bitcoin i mean um the main reason I thought buying Bitcoin was was a good move was all the money that was in you know DeFi and exchanges and etc. That uh, was looking for for a door and and it seems like yeah Bitcoin worked to be that temporary door. Cool. All right. So this is a good segue. I think you wanted to check in on my uh, my Silvergate trade and uh, a few other trades that we uh, we went over the last few weeks. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, at the at the 
beginning of all this, right? I mean, that's what's been crazy about this entire saga for me is it, uh, you know, the, it has this this background or, or backdrop of uh, interest rate hikes, but then there's this specific thing that's happened in crypto that has had a very clear path, right? Going from Luna, uh, Terra Luna to Alameda and FTX, uh, you know, with, with some players along the way, like Three Arrows Capital and Celsius. Um, and then now uh, you correctly identified uh, how, that uh, SI Silvergate, or SI is a ticker for Silvergate, um, could be involved in this and uh boy was that uh the next (laughs) you know it's like the next part of the rabbit hole that you identified basically yeah that was a really tough trade to be in because it was just bouncing all over the place right like i ended up making money on it yeah the volatility was insane but it would be down 20 percent in the day and then up 25 percent and all over the place and it became i don't know if you were trading when um what was that company it was a uh one of the herbal life did you ever there was like a short seller campaign against herbal life and then i guess like bill ackman or one of these famous hedge fund investors no, but is that a um is that a that's like an mm mlm or whatever right? right but it's a publicly traded uh company that it's an mlm that's like you know you can make money selling their like supplements and powders and stuff and there was a big short report saying that it's, you know, kind of like a pyramid scheme. And then um, there was a counter report saying, no, actually, it's, you know, whatever, it's profitable, blah, blah, blah. And they just went back and forth and just whipsawed around. Um, and so I had quite a few. I, I, I'm i trying to do less active trading and more LPing and stuff and, and longer term stuff. So uh, just just at a, as part of my... Uh, periodic like information detox i found myself getting like have after having been extremely online for like the last crypto bull market trying to like take a little bit of a of a breather and like do less uh day-to-day stuff but um just sitting in that and and that was kind of maybe like one of the, the last draws for me just like being in this trade and you know like i wasn't putting enough money in it to like make it uh make or break for you know my net worth so but it was like uh you know, taking it up, I was checking it every day and up and down 20%. And it was just, I felt like it was like neurologically exhausting to be in it. So I, I was looking to exit at a profit and I did, but probably uh, took took some months off my life with, with all the drama. Because I think at one point, like Andreessen Horowitz or one of these big companies like came out behind it and they were, they were pumping it um, or, or like injecting or, you know, saying that they stood behind Silvergate to try to prop it up. So like, it was just complete, uh, complete roller coaster ride. So I was glad to be out of it uh, with my uh, head still attached. Well, no, I mean that's a great lesson that uh, you know, correctly identifying a trade is different than actually you know executing and and you know maintaining the trade. Um, two two completely different skill sets, and uh, yeah, it's uh, that that's part part of why trading is so hard, right? It's like you have to identify a thesis, and then you actually have to go and execute on that thesis, which is, uh, yeah, um, a lot of moving parts and a lot of things that can go wrong, a lot of emotions, a lot of volatility, um, especially in something like the Silvergate case where, like, what you're talking about where um, not only is their narrative going up and down, but because people are pulling their money out, um, there is you know, less, um, 
open interest, which increases volatility, you know? Uh, so yeah, wild, wild ride. I definitely, uh, I think I'm like net loss money on, um, Silvergate, but at one point I think I was up quite a bit, uh, actually like buying dips and then, uh, you know, tried to short at the wrong time and, and gave it all back. You were playing both sides of it. Okay. No, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because, you know, once you get that much volatility, then, uh, just, you know, it becomes a, a technical thing, right? Um, you can start just, Hey, look, this thing is oversold reversion to the mean trade or, you know, uh, overbought or, uh, bear flags, um, double bottoms, that sort of thing. They all start to, they start to show up a lot more when you get, uh, I think lacks of liquidity because then you, um, you just have technical traders or that are the only ones that are willing to participate. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had, I had options and it's like, you know, because of its options, I'm not going to, you know, commit a large percentage of my money to any one trade. And it's so freaking volatile that it just became, you know, and I was listening to all the podcasts and there was this short seller guy who was, who was kind of like spearheading it. And, and, you know, I could kind of see the writing on the wall from that. Um, but I was then later kind of shocked to see that what I view as government overreach where they closed down signature bank and this operation choke point thing where they tried to take problems at Silvergate and use that as a pretext for shutting down crypto banking, which I think, you know, is pretty horrible. I think uh, this guy, Nick Carter, who's a crypto VC, has been doing a lot of podcasts and uh, doing the Lord's work and kind of calling out, um, calling out this regulatory crackdown on crypto that's being taken through the banking regulators, right? So uh, obviously, I think that's so. Uh, um, do you remember uh, exactly the options you bought? Because see, I think we're on a roll here. I think a lot of um, you know, at least things that I listen to, read, whatever people people only like start with the uh, the first part of the trade, which is you know, oh, I think Silvergate's going to go down. So, so what, like, yeah, what way did you express the trade? Do you remember? Oh, I bought put options just like a few months out, maybe like like so a few months out, and then like. Uh, like how far probably like 30 percent down from from where it was i would have to go back and pull up my if we're talking like right right so yeah so i think that's i, I think that's one thing about options that i really like which is uh you know so say say you like came up with this trade okay you know i think silvergate's going to i, I don't know i remember what it was at at the time let's call it like 20 bucks or whatever and you say oh i think this is like really bad um like in your mind you've you've decided this is like really really bad so um you know, at that point, what's cool about options is you could say, okay, I'm going to take X amount of money that I'm willing to lose, and I'm just going to buy the furthest out of the money option I can find on Silvergate uh, a year from now or something, right? Because like this thing could take a while to play out, but I think when it does play out, it's going to freaking zero or whatever. Um, and the nice part about options is then you can just you know sort of forget about it and send put yourself like an alert or something if if the price ever goes down 50 percent on a day um versus like shorting it um you you know you're you have a negative carry uh trade this thing could go against you you could lose a lot of money first of all like actually shorting a stock um you know depending on your broker you might not even be able to do it unless you have a certain amount of money deposited um, but yeah, that, that's the thing that I really like about options it, in this particular situation where you can just say, you know what, I, I'm not quite sure how far down this thing's going to go. I, I know it's going to take a little bit of time and I'm willing to lose 500 bucks to, to bet on it. Right. And then you, you buy it and sort of 
forget about it and, and check in on it uh, every once in a while or, or, you know, set your Google alerts mm-hmm. for news articles or something like that. Um, cool. Is there anything else about uh, this one that we wanted to talk about? No. I do have another trade that I feel strongly about uh, in the equity space that I'm in pretty heavily, which is the uh, GLP-1 Agonist trade. Are you, uh, are you familiar with this at all? I'm sorry, say that again? It's the the um, these drugs like Ozempic, Wagovi. Um, I follow a podcast called Dumb Money when and they do kind of like social arb trading, which means like they invest in kind of like emerging trends. And the this trend is this new class of drugs that was originally uh, developed for uh, diabetes, and they discovered that it's basically like a weight loss miracle drug. Um, the tickers I'm in are uh, Eli Lilly and Novo Nordisk which um, both have different brand names of this. But if you go on TikTok or Twitter and search for the names of these drugs, you see these just like miracle before and after videos of people. I think they lose like 15 to 20% of their body weight in like six to eight months or a year. It's, it's like really, really remarkable. And thesis is just basically like these are becoming, are going to become u- ubiquitous. People are going on them um, who are not just, obese or have diabetes but are just like slightly overweight to kind of like get in shape for a beach body summer um but it is like and what's the, is this supposed to be a, a recession proof trade i believe it it is well right right now it's a extreme high end so these drugs are you're paying like a thousand bucks a month to get on them because they're super new and super um they haven't been negotiated by the insurances yet to like get down to to um to mass market levels. So it's basically like an elite, if you're going to get liposuction or if you're, if you're going to pay money to get a personal trainer, uh, you're rich and you can afford it. You're going to be getting these drugs if you need to lose weight. And, um, you know, the thesis is one of the risks, I guess there are a few risks. Like some of the risks are that there would be like an unknown side effect that gets discovered, or there are risks that, uh, if you're older and taking these, you can, it causes you to not just lose fat, but like the weight you're losing is muscle too. So like if you're old and at risk of falling and stuff, you, you could, um, have a slip and fall or, you know, could increase that risk unless you're like lifting weights and like trying hard to like not lose your muscle mass. Um, or there could be, you know, there've been other diet drugs in the past, like Fenfen or whatever that, um, that, turn out to have some like side effect that only shows up years later. But if also, I guess, so you're, Oh, go ahead. But if you look at, I mean, just anyone go look at social media, type in the names of these drugs and, um, watch the videos, watch what people are saying about them, watch, um, the desperation that they're going to these like online Canada pharmacies to get, you know, cheap versions of this, like people are, are demanding it. Like the social buzz around these is real. And, um, I could see it being one of these like mega trends that lasts many, many years. So I mean, I think that's probably my biggest new position, um, in stocks since, uh, since we last talked. So this is purely on uh, sentiment, right? So we're not looking at, you know, cause, cause I guess like something like Eli Lilly, they could have, they could have other, um, 
you know, products and they could be doing bad in other places or their costs could be too high or blah, blah, blah. Yeah, um, so, but you know, the nice part about this is Eli Lilly okay. is big. They're diversified, but their drug, the one that's coming on is called Munjaro. That is, um, from my research, like the best, the best one of these is about to get approved for just general, general weight loss. So that could be just a huge, a huge boon for it. And then Novo Nordisk is more diabetes focused company, um, but they have several of these on the market too. And so you would, uh, you would express this trade by just buying the actual equity, right? I have both. I have some options and some equity. Yeah. So I, I mean, the the one nice part about holding the equity is you earn the dividends, right? For all those uh, those yield farming DeFi people out there, right? Holding a holding an equity is like staking a a crypto. <laughs> yeah, but I like it. Uh, so if we do go into a recession, obviously healthcare is like fairly re- recession resistant sector. Um, but then you have this tailwind of like if this does become one of these mega trends, and I I, I really encourage anyone just like. Go the names of these drugs: Monjaro, Wagovi, Ozempic. Type type the names of these drugs into your social media of choice and watch. uh, Look at what people are saying about them. Um, Look at the people who are saying, you know, driving from pharmacy to pharmacy trying to get their prescriptions filled, and um, and just and just see like this is just could be one of these like mega trends that that is just starting. So that's uh. Yeah, well, so I, this is like the next Crocs trade, right? It's it's a similar thesis as you had behind Crocs. It is, yeah. Like, which is, uh, yeah. I'm yeah. still in Crocs, by the way. I think some people sold sold Crocs, but I'm still in it. Oh yeah, what is, I haven't looked at it in a while. I just know that it it had been doing well. It's pretty flat. It's still back up. It was down a bit, and now it's back up. But I'm still in it. I think maybe it's got another summer to go. Well, um, yeah, I don't, I don't, unless you had something, I mean, oh yeah, I guess, uh, the other thing to mention was, yeah, the, the, the buy the hack trade, uh, nailed it again. Uh, there's a project called Euler with the, the cryptocurrencies EUL. And, um, I wrote about, um, this again for the premium people. And, uh, we actually had several people take the trade successfully, um, make some money. Um, and we were all chatting about it in the premium discord but basically uh, a project that i know well had some funds stolen and uh took the simple trade of hey uh it's you know the price is down worse than uh people think and there's still a chance that they get the funds back and if they ever do get the funds back the price will recover and uh this one i think got a bit lucky uh they completely recovered the funds within you know, I think the first month or something like that. Uh, so the, you know, uh, we were suggesting to buy it at $2 and 50 cents and, uh, it's at four bucks right now. So that was a pretty, pretty nice trade. Um, the only other, th- Oh, go ahead. I, I was aware of the hack. I was not in looking at the kind of the nitty gritty. What made you identify this as a good hack to buy? What made you kind of like handicap? that it was likely to either recover or get the funds back because I think they did like end up negotiating with the exploiter who returned it voluntarily. So like, was that on your radar as a possibility or what, what was your thought? Yeah. I mean, that would, like I said, we got a bit lucky on this one. Uh, that was, that was the best case scenario. Um, I, you know, uh, we had the podcast with Thomas Brazil, right. Um, basically using his logic of, 
we don't really need all the funds to come back. We just need more than zero because mm-hmm. the market is betting on zero. And uh, if we get 10%, then the price should go up. Um, so yeah, in this case, I'm actually still in the trade expecting more upside because um, I still don't think the market has realized um, uh, you know, uh, how how badly they sold this thing off considering now that all the funds have been returned. Um, so yeah, that was sort of the... Um, white swan scenario right that that you get all the funds back um i personally uh have met uh the coo of the the team and a couple of other members of the team so i knew that they are good uh hard workers um and you know for me it's like it's about a you know a project gets hacked they make a mistake they get one chance uh and so if if they're a good team if they have a good product um then you know most likely and that was part of uh, the trade too that I mentioned was, you know, Hey, you got to get a good, you got to get a good price on this. Right. Um, it's just cause they get the funds back. You know, if you bought it at $4, like you wouldn't have made any money. Right. Because, um, the, that that's too expensive for this trade. Um, but yeah, you, you're, you're, you're essentially saying, Hey, look, the product's good. The team's good. They're hard workers. They will figure out some way, um, to get some of this money back. Best case scenario, they get all of it back in that case, you know, the price skyrockets and, and, and that's pretty much what happened. Um, and you know, on the other side, like what's the risk, uh, the risk is they don't get any of the money back that, you know, they are hard workers, they are a good team, but they have to disband and, and move on. So, you know, I, I, in that case, it's risk management and position sizing, right? So I didn't, I didn't put my entire net worth into this thing, right? I put a, I put a small amount in, um, you know, uh, basically betting that that everything would would be fine, or at least they would get something back. And they are a lending market similar to Ave, but they can list more tokens, right? That's basically what they do. Yeah, uh, they're a lending market similar to Ave with some some weird tokenized like token incentives and stuff. Trying to, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily think um, you know, would I buy? Um, yeah, I mean, let's see. Looking at the price here, would I? You know, what, yeah, would I buy Euler at um, six dollars and fifty cents? Probably not. Um, I would, you know, I'd be a buyer somewhere lower than here, just expecting some recovery. But um, yeah, it's a it's an interesting project that doesn't really have um hasn't really figured itself out i would say but they are you're you're betting on a on a more exploratory high risk um you know project here basically to begin with um but yes it's it's a lending market um with some weird um tokenomics and um a lot more variety of which tokens uh you can actually use as collateral or borrow Speaking of, uh, you mentioned Thomas Brazil. I was thinking of him. He's been on Twitter uh, helping people buy FTX and BlockFi claims. I'm thinking of, uh, would you be interested in doing a podcast with him where we tr- go through and buy a claim? Because I would put up some money to buy a claim just to see what happens and follow it. I think it would be an yeah, yeah. I think it'd be an interesting uh, project. And. No, absolutely. Yeah, let's. I mean, if anything, we just need to catch up with him. I actually, um, I had gotten on the phone with him just before the Celsius um, blow up, and you know, leading into three AC and FTX and all that. Um, and yeah, had had been mentioning to him the things that I had been seeing, and we had been talking about. <laughs> 
yeah, yeah. It was it was it was interesting. Uh that literally like a month after that phone call, like everything blew up. <laughs> so yeah, we, we we could get him on here, we could do that, and then we could catch up on uh literally like everything he's been working on because i mean man this has been uh uh like for a for a distressed debt trader like this has been the freaking year for the last like or i guess year and a half really yeah this is his season i want to get inside his head and figure out how he's thinking about it right now cool um well i think we're about at time here so uh unless you have anything else why don't we leave it there yeah yeah just uh you know come come join us uh in the discord um you know sign up for the paid uh we yeah that we deliver the cheat sheet every day you get our premium channels and uh whenever cletus has something to say uh we'll send out a private podcast uh with uh what's going on in the in the energy markets or or whatever the hell he's paying attention to cool all right well good to uh catch up let's do this again soon yep sounds good have a good one all right cheers